Hey, what's up, folks? Welcome to Dojo Talks. Today, we are going to be uh, recapping the 2022 FIDE candidates, which at the time of recording have officially not ended. Uh, Fabi is still trying to save this endgame against uh, Faruja. Um, but uh, more importantly, Ding Loren did win his game over Hikaru. So we do have kind of like the important standings settled in in the tournament. Nepo obviously won and is the next challenger and in case we'll get into it in case Magnus doesn't uh, play the next world championship Ding Loren is going to be the uh, the challenger to uh, to Nepo. Anyway first let me have you guys say something about the candidates. How did you enjoy it overall scale of 1 to 10? Um I loved it. I didn't get to watch it as closely as I wanted to because I think the games were starting at 2 or 3 a.m. for me every day. Um, so I usually missed a couple hours of it uh, at the beginning, uh, which is, you know, when the round is like pregnant with possibilities. You know, you don't yet know what opening are you going to get? Is somebody going to go on the attack? You know, who's, who's got white pieces today and all that. But um but no, I, I, I enjoyed it. And to me, it, it fully lived up to my, my sense that it was kind of, you know, the tournament of the year and like that it was hard to predict what was going to happen. There's, you get so many good players in a room together, you know, who's going to end up losing. Um, it lived up to all that for me. So I thought it was, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. I How thought at, at least the first half was the best, uh, the best candidates tournament that I can remember in terms of uh, interesting positions, play, um, and it's partly motivated by, or maybe that reaction is just, I was able to watch it just about every day. I was covering here on the Chess Dojo. Sometimes Eugene Perelson was joining me. I was just focusing on one game. It was a really enjoyable experience. Um, <clears throat> and the drama and the possibilities were wide open. And now maybe I'm just forgetting candidates tournaments past, but this one really had a, a lot of it. And I think, uh, we'll talk about our expectations versus reality. It was just interesting in the way everybody was wrong. Everybody was wrong. And I'm still like, we'll talk also about critical moments, like could have gone, could have gone different ways too. At least I feel it could have gone a couple different ways. Yeah, I'm with you. I kind of feel like this candidates felt more dramatic just because it was covered a lot more closely on, on social media compared to back like 2013, you know, like you would have like reports of the round and stuff, but you wouldn't have this kind of like live, like nowadays, if you go on Twitter during the round, you can pretty much figure out what's happening based on what people are tweeting, which I right. think is pretty cool. Um, but that wasn't always like the case back in the day. So it feels like, yeah, every little thing that happens gets turned into like this, uh, this big story. But okay, let's, um, let's start with our predictions that we made, I believe it was back in April yeah. of this year when Ding was kind of the like the presumed um, challenger as he was playing all these games in, in China and we figured he was going to qualify. Um, and let me just get it ready for the folks here. So the podcast listeners are not going to be able to see um, our previous predictions, but you can look up the YouTube if you're, uh, if you're curious. And uh, I put them up here for the stream. And uh, okay, so obviously there are a couple things we uh, 
we all we all got wrong. We all put Ferruja as either one or two, yeah. and uh, we all put Nepo at around six or seven. So, <laughs> I'd say we were wrong about a couple of players. We were kind of wrong about Naka. I think he did much better than we expected, and uh, and Rajabov, of course, maybe the biggest um, the biggest difference maker. Uh, I could let me actually just quickly. I can recap the current standings for folks that are not uh, totally aware. Basically, Nepo is first, Ding Loren second, Raja and uh, Naka tied for third with seven and a half. Um, Caruana seems to gonna he's gonna be fifth, uh, Duda sixth, uh, tied with Rapport for sixth place, and then Feruja might end up either in last or um, tied based on. Uh, the result of this game, or he might even leapfrog Duda and Rapport and end up um, in uh, in sixth place. But overall, not a great result for uh, for Ferruja, that's for sure. Yeah. So, what was the biggest uh, surprise for you guys here? Because there's obviously a lot of stuff that didn't go according according to plan. Well, the obvious biggest surprise was Nepo. Nepo, <laughs> yeah. Nepo is obviously the biggest surprise. You could say that uh, when you analyze Nepo's success, it has to be said that a lot of it is the collapse of the favorites. And that begins in round one when Nepo beats Ding, uh, or you could say Ding beats himself in round one. You could put it that way too, if you want. And so <clears throat> Ferruja definitely collapsed. We're going to have to see too what happens to Ferruja because he was the golden boy. And now is he the golden boy? Not so clear. Not so clear anymore. Um, so that was also, I would say, got to say Ferruja and Nepo, those are the big stories. Ferruja's collapse and Nepo's surprising. Nobody thought it did. I don't care who says they thought it coming. Nobody saw that coming. <laughs> no, let's be, there were a couple of folks that were, that said Nepo uh, was going to do really well, or even said that he was one of the one of the favorites, and they definitely they definitely called that. So full full credit to uh, uh, to them. Uh, what about you, Dave? What was what was the most surprising for you? So I mean, obviously we've listed all these big surprises compared to like what we estimated. You know, Rajabov's finish compared to where we estimated him is one of the biggest gaps. Right. And um, and then Nepo and Farouge, I think those three names are the furthest away. If you put like where we average put them and where they ended up, those three would be the biggest. So the one I'm going to pick is not the biggest by by spacing. OK, but it's um, it's when you analyze the when you look at the actual games and the actual moves, the most surprising to me is Ding Lee Ren. And he's the one who maybe finished closest to where we. Mm-hmm. predicted him of anybody right we have him predicted at third on average and he finished second <laughs> that's about as close as we got on a prediction but when you look at the games that he lost with the white pieces to nepo and then Rajabov, those games are both just absolute shockers to me whereas i had no expectations for Rajabov, for example but when you look at how he got his points that he had low expectations for himself. He hung in there. He didn't get upset when he wasn't winning the candidates tournament. A lot of other dudes there seem to have gotten upset at the moment that they realized that they weren't going to win the candidates tournament and started, you know, giving some stuff away. I mean, maybe you guys disagree with that analysis, but like 
for Rajabov to collect points because he didn't have any ambition, he didn't have any ambitions <laughs> of like being world champion for him to collect points when the other people are collapsing. When I see that, it doesn't look implausible to me, right? When I see the games mm-hmm. that he won, I don't go like, oh my God, you know, Rajabov, like I didn't know he had that in him. But when I look at the ding games, this guy is so consistent in general, right? So rare to lose. And you look at these games that he just, I mean, unrecognizable in those two games with white, like so bad. Um, you know, the game with the game with Raj above, I thought when I was, when I was seeing the moves, I thought something was wrong. Like, like he'd lost his mind or he was throwing well, the game or something. Yeah. I mean, on that, I think, I think on, on that note specifically, I feel like there's this thing that's been happening. Cause I do it a lot too, where, like when you're really influenced by the computer, it like shows you these like weird ideas that work in certain situations. Like mm-hmm. you remember the Ferruja Nepo game where he goes like G4, H4, and G5, and then it feels like it feels kind of suicidal if you're just looking at it for the first time. But then people were showing on Twitter like in similar positions, G4, H4. This is like the top the top engine plan. So people are like speculating like, oh, he must have seen this idea somewhere, and now he's like trying mm-hmm. it here. I don't really know, yeah. but to me, that's what well, it kind of that, kind of feels he like. He said that that game was following his prep for a long time, up to like one or two moves before those moves. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean like the Queen, Queen the B6 game or Nepo. the yeah the Ferruja game. Queen mm-hmm. B six by Nepo on like move like fourteen or something was the first new move to him. So that whole position with that whole pawn structure in C six and C D five, he knew the position up to like one or two moves before he suicided with those yeah. king head pawn moves. And this so, is not a good thing, uh, but I do it all the time. <laughs> it's like, you get some <laughs> positions, like, and then, yeah, you just have no idea how to play it, and you're not you're not an engine. But yeah, it's 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 weird to see players of this level doing that because it's you, know, you think they would they would know better or, or whatever. I don't know. Um, but uh, actually, I wanted to mention one other point you made about. The players who kind of like expected to win. I I feel like Geary was saying something similar on the Chess Twenty Four commentary the other day, which by the way was very very good. I would encourage everyone to watch it. I think it was round thirteen that Geary joined for for about an hour or so, um, and said some really really interesting stuff. And yeah, he was saying like some of the players like uh, like Fabi, like he was obviously very close to the lead. And then like loses a couple games, like gets his heart broken, and now he's like he can't play for the rest of the tournament. Whereas other guys like Rajabov specifically, who doesn't have a ton of expectations, he can just kind of play his normal game, and he like doesn't really like lose terribly throughout the event, and then ends up doing doing quite well. So there is this kind of like uh, roller coaster effect, or if you're going up and down, like Ding Laren also, like he was like started off badly, then had like three wins in a row, then like loses a game, then it's like. Yeah, very, very difficult to play when you're kind of going up and down. Yeah, and no one more suicidal than, like, Faruja, right, who's just, like, playing bullet all night long in the middle of the night. Yeah, and he maybe had the most pressure on him going into the tournament. Like, he has to win. If he doesn't win, Magnus doesn't even play the next match. <laughs> it's like this whole thing where, yeah, it seems like from from day one, Faruja. That's another thing Gary said that was really interesting. It's like Faruja's entire repertoire is based on playing for a win at all costs and uh yeah sometimes it just well yeah it just doesn't work out it's too risky Mm -hmm. so all right i'll get here's here's one there's many many narratives but here maybe it's just because we're in the u.s i'll just put it as a u.s spin on it so here's the u.s spin of the story so fabi gets matched up with naka in round one 
These guys have had beef with each other, dude, for a long time, for a long time. The rivalry and Naka's attitude, like Naka might pretend he doesn't care anymore. Forget about it. These guys, and Naka's always felt that he be- should be better than Fabi. Fabi plays a great game, round one, knocks him out. All, all of a sudden, it looks like Fabi's in like perfect position. Then, because they meet each other in the same order, right? Yeah. Naka plays Fabi in round eight and beats Fabi with White in a really interesting game. Very nice. Really game. interesting game. And I thought when it came out of the opening, I, I didn't, it was me and Eugene were talking about it. I felt like Fabi was fine, yada, yada. In any case, uh, Naka wins that game and that really decides the tournament. Because at that point, then before that game, Fabi's on plus three and Nepo's on plus four. Anybody's anybody's event. Then after that, mm, Fabi's at plus two and uh, Nepo's at plus four. No one else is really even in shouting distance. So the event largely is then decided. And Nep and then Fabi, like, you know, just collapses, dude. Ends up finishing. It's going to be somewhere around fifth place. We don't even know yet. But, you know, in the shadows, in the bottom of the barrel. Dude. And so I think uh, that's an, it's an interesting thing how Naka and Fabi. And what was the big surprise? Definitely Naka, dude. I didn't see that coming. The betting market surprisingly saw Naka coming. They were like, oh, Naka's. They had Naka at fourth place, by the way. The betting market did. And that's what, uh, that's what happened here. But isn't that just based on how people are are betting, like those numbers? Yeah, just how people are betting. But, you know, when you put money down, it's not just like your guess. You're, you, you feel strongly about it. You're strongly enough to bet on. So that's why betting markets are a little interesting. Yeah, but it's almost like it's like his, it's like your family betting. And well, you know, they're be, kind I, of betting, but they're also kind of biased. Let me tell you something about families. They don't always bet on you, buddy. <laughs> just because you're in your family doesn't mean they're going to bet on you. Yeah. He's got a big family. It, 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 it feels like a bunch of like moms and aunts, like, and uncles uh-huh. like being like, I, I, I think he's really good. I've never met somebody better than him and they don't even play chess, you know? Yeah. And we'll talk about critical moments later, but I have a couple of critical moments I'll, I'll put up later when we talk about that. But I think that for Fabi and Naka, that story was big. And ultimately it's like that collapse by Fabi lets Jan just run away with it, man. Yeah, I mean, at that point, you mentioned, like, uh, plus two versus plus four. So basically, Nepo, he's only a point ahead. But it, it already felt just like, I don't know, just psychologically. Like, he's just dominating the tournament. He's so solid. Like, he's been in trouble a couple of times, but he saved it. He hasn't, like, had this, like, uh, he hasn't had a game where he self-destructed, where it seems like almost every other player did at some point. I'm going to I'm going to fight that narrative, by the way. Thank you very much. But OK, go continue. The, the self-destruct <laughs> the narrative? No, the, the thing that he ended, was like solid. He was not solid. He was getting popped every time. Every Petrov, he was getting popped. In any case, we'll we'll talk about it later. Just a okay. small announcement for you guys. Yeah. The Commanders tournament has just finished. Um, Fabi, Fabi lost. And uh, Oh, so Ferruja wins the final game. That's kind of nice for him. (laughs) Ends in sixth place. Yeah, at least that's actually a little bit of a high note, right? Because he was in last, like, throughout the event. So (laughs) good for him. Um, Unfortunately for Fabi, though, who finishes in fifth place. Yeah. Behind Ding, Rajabov, and uh, and, and Nakamura. Uh, Well, for me, guys, I mean, the biggest surprise definitely, or the biggest thing I felt like I got wrong was was Nepo, of course. I mean, yeah, it's just like... 
Um, I mean, I was definitely one of the folks saying that like his previous candidates win was illegitimate because it was basically like two first halves mm. and Nepo was always really strong in the first half of events. Yeah. So that was, you know, it just felt like it was it was tailored for him. But no, this one, I mean, he absolutely won, won fair and square. In fact, I had to even go and, like, defend Nepo at some point because people were saying, like, oh, he just got, like, lucky in a bunch of games and, and that was it, which, I don't know, I feel like 14 games, like, that's a lot. Of, like, either he's just the absolute luckiest player ever for this one event or, you know, he's the previous challenger. He just played really solid and he didn't, uh, he didn't collapse. Luck. I, I am with you. 14 <laughs> rounds is not about luck. If it were like, if it were a blitz quad or something, but not not 14 <laughs> rounds of classical chess with basically like eight of the top 10 players in the world locked in a room together for two, for two weeks. No. One, one uh, storyline I think made a lot of sense to me is Kasparov was interviewed and um, he admitted, first of all, of course, he didn't pick Napo either. But then in hindsight, he made the interesting point that it was the training for the Carlson match, which upped his game and that training plus like the preparation, both openings and otherwise for playing that match, which gave him the strength to be having to, or to have an edge in this event. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. Imagine playing like 12 full games against Carlson. Uh, right. You're not going to be afraid of anyone after that. I mean, I think if I remember correctly, Except Bobby, Carlson. <laughs> Except Carlson. except Carlson, of course, of course. <laughs> except Carlson. But other than that, other than that, you're you're fine. I think Fabi also after his match the following year, I feel like he he had a great year where it was just like, you know, he's not maybe not outperforming Magnus, but other than that, like no one can really can really touch him. Um, so yeah, I think looking back on it, it's definitely not surprising that Nepo ended up doing so well, and definitely feels like he should have been. Maybe in the top three instead of Feruja, for example, like him, Ding, and Karwan, and maybe were the the three correct favorites. Uh-huh. I don't know. Um, but okay, there were some strange moments, like that that game um, that uh, that Rapport lost to to Nepo, seemingly just like right out of the opening, and, and Nepo basically, you know, finished his prep with a, the winning position on the board. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's just so many games. Like, actually, people mentioned the Ferrugia game as black against Nepo, where they had this uh, very sharp Knight of Sicilian. Mm. And uh, Ferrugia had outprepared Nepo, but Nepo just made some natural moves out of Ferrugia's prep and and then outplayed them in this kind of, like, thematic, you know, open Sicilian, where Nepo just has years and years of experience. So, to me, that wasn't, like, such a crazy game. That was just kind of... That result, I don't know, it made sense to me. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was unfortunate to see Caruana stumble in the second half. Because this first half, I thought, was was very good, right? Like, he was he was doing fine. It's just Nepo was doing better. But then, yeah, he lost this game to Naka and seems like couldn't uh, couldn't recover after, after that. Right. Now, also for Nepo's performance, I mean... I think he only won one game in the second half, right? Like he finished the first half at plus four with three draws. And then in the in the entire second half, pretty much he had such a lead that he could play kind of from a position of safety, from a position of like, if it's a draw, I'm okay with it. And there's more pressure on other people to try and win games. You know, I feel like not, I mean, that's that's a perfectly fair advantage to have. That's, that's what you're supposed to, 
you know, take and, and, and take advantage of if you can get it at this level. But I feel like um, he, he, you know, he used that well and that, that helped him through the second half as well. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, speaking of, what did you guys, maybe this is uh, a topic we can get to later, but I mean, speaking of Nepo's, I don't know, fortune, he had the fortune of playing Feruja after that uh, crazy bullet match. Uh -huh. just stayed up till 5 a.m. So what did you guys think of that? Did you feel like uh, did you feel like Feruja maybe shouldn't have done that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think kids are going to be kids, man, and they're going to do crazy stuff. And maybe it doesn't even hurt them that much, you know, maybe it doesn't even hurt. Them. But the G4H4 thing for me and uh Eugene, when we were talking about that, it felt like something you would do when you, if you're playing blitz or bullet or hyperbullet <laughs> or hyperbullet. Uh, so mm, that's where it seemed maybe to go a little bit off the rails. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. It was a very interesting game, by the way, before G4 and even G4 maybe wasn't itself a terrible move. H4 definitely was, but it was like G4 already had the inertia of H4 built into it. Um, where at first I thought black was uh, better, just it looked better. And that queen d6 move, honestly, looks like the most natural move in the world. Um, but then I was looking at it, I was like, maybe, maybe actually uh, uh, Feruja could be better. Of course, I was never using the computer. And that was kind of a really interesting dynamic to not use the computer and everything. In any case, the, I, I thought he came out of the opening fine. And then he imploded. And of course, we got to mention you know, Ferugia lost twice, dude, to Nepo. That's the other storyline you just got to mention. Hmm. If that goes the other way or just doesn't happen, you know, just totally different. And, of course, Ferugia thought he was going to be the champ, dude. <laughs> he thought he was going to be the champ. And then that was round four, I believe, right, where Ferugia loses that game. Until that point, Ferugia was on an equal score, having played, you know, three fighting draws before that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was the game where Ferruja's path first started heading down. As far as the bullet, um, I think, Kosti, that he again did it the next night as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's good. So, and maybe after that, he just was more careful with using more anonymous accounts or something like that where everyone wouldn't be reporting on it. But at least two nights in a row, he was playing bullet. Um, and my take on it, I mean, absolutely no. I'm surprised his dad didn't slap him because I think his dad was there. <laughs> How, like, did, at that age, you, I don't know. I feel like his, his family was there with him, right? And, and you'd think they'd be like managing or, or, or helping him a little bit with that, that you would get slapped if you did that. Um, and, and, and I'm also going to say, I mean, Jesse says maybe it doesn't hurt him that much, but I mean, that's like all your sleep. I know he's young, but like it wasn't it wasn't a few games. It wasn't like he lost concentration for half an hour. It was like five hours or something like that of your like sleep time. And um, I'll say this. If I had been one of the other contenders, right? Like if I had been like Ding or Nakamura or someone like that in second place, you know, maybe maybe one and a half to two points away at that point. And the guy shows up, you know, and he looks like tired at the board and like hanging on the table. I would have been pissed. I would have been pissed that the guy is just handing Nepo a point at that moment in the tournament. 
I know some people, you know, calculate that it's a foregone conclusion. I don't know how different, you know, if it is or not. And I don't know how Ding or Nakamura felt about it, like whether they thought they were still chasing and they still had a legitimate chance. But I, if I try to imagine myself in their shoes, I would be so pissed for the guy to like show up and just. There's all kinds of things, though, that happen like that in this tournament. I think uh, another one that was really interesting is when uh, the report didn't repeat against Nepo in that yeah. position. In the, and he just handed in the game in a really interesting way. And it was like, oh. And then, and then Fabi comes on the interview later. He's like, oh, that's been known for 10 years, boss. You can't do that. And then he goes, and it's just like he's totally pissed. And then, you know, Nepo collects another easy point. And it's like, oh, yeah, but that's just part of it. Like you're dealing with people and they're going to do weird things. And I get it why Report did it. I get it. He wanted to win, dude. He wanted a chance at the title. Yeah. And for and- Ferrugia, I mean, I feel full sympathy. The guy's dreams have just been shattered. He said all this pressure was on him. Let's go. Yeah, go play some bullet. You know, yeah. even lost the bullet match, by the way. To <laughs> It's even oh. the worst part. He even lost the match. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness yeah i don't know i mean i feel like you know he's a kid and he's uh he's 2800 so it's you know it's kind of hard to really criticize him for for too long given what he's uh what he's accomplished but yeah yeah maybe maybe that wasn't the best decision at that at that point uh-huh. but is it gonna is it gonna derail him like earlier jesse was saying like he might not be the the chosen one anymore no no way I mean, it's just a, sm- a small setback like i mean he'll have he'll have many more tournaments um to you know to prove that he can he can grow from this yeah i mean i didn't mean to criticize him at all to be clear like like i understand like you know he's a kid there's a lot of pressure fine i don't i don't blame him i'm just saying like x's and o's the answer to that is it was a bad idea <laughs> which everybody knows but also i'm adding this perspective that i think as like a competitor in a round robin like this you know you you can feel weird about different other games and how other people are doing and i think even on twitter i saw like people showing screen captures of nakamura's face when watching nepo games you know like Uh here's like naka when he sees that nepo's like easily winning again against somebody who's like you know, throwing a game to him or whatever, you know, <laughs> and you can see knock is just like disgusted. He's like, how am I ever going to catch this guy? If people are dumping like this. Right. So, um, you know, I just, I, I imagine that I would feel a little bit like that as one of the other contenders that I'd be, that I would have been upset about what Frugia did. Cause it was kind of egregious and you'd, you'd rather it happened the round that he was playing you <laughs> instead of the round he's playing Nepo. Right. Yeah. I can see how it could make a player go, uh, crazy and and like trying to uh to just play for a win outright because they're like wow strange stuff is happening so i need to like put myself in a position to win some games here but most of these guys are yeah pretty solid generally so <laughs> that doesn't always work when you take take so much risk um okay well maybe i feel like we should just keep talking about some of the more interesting moments and then we can end talking about uh Magnus and some of the latest stuff that's been coming out about one that. last thing we could say about Ferrugia because I think we're going to move yeah. on from the topic now so it's not exactly this question but related the question of is he still the golden boy um supposedly Magnus Carlson said that dude is always nervous about mm-hmm. Ferrugia at some point in the tournament you know something was happening and that was like Magnus's take on it and when I heard that then I said uh-oh 
maybe he's not the golden boy. Maybe Magnus uh-huh. sitting up above sees this flaw in this crack and he's like, you know, and, and that could be it, right? Because think about Ivanchuk. I mean, that guy had everything except he would get nervous if it was like, you know, the candidates or something, you know, approaching the world championship. Um, and otherwise, he was pretty much a total, a total package of, you know, passion for chess, creativity, ideas, calculation, ability, like, you know, basically everything. So I don't know. I, Magnus has got me wondering. That's, hmm. that's, that's it. I mean, I, I really listen when, when the world champion speaks. So. Yeah, I guess we'll see. I don't know. His, his talent just seems so incredibly impressive that it feels like, um, yeah, he'll, he'll be able to, uh, to overcome it. Um, but I don't know. He's, he's still got time. He's 19. Yeah. And, and 2,800. So, uh, he still has, um, yeah, at least a few years before before people will, I think, start looking at some, someone else as the as the new heir uh, apparent. Um, Jesse, what about you? Did you have any other uh, moments that you wanted to to mention? Well, yeah, well, let's talk about moments. So uh, there's a lot of moments. I'm going to try to limit myself to two that seem interesting. Um, uh, so. God, there's a lot actually. <laughs> a couple that stand, stand out of my mind is the first encounter with Nepo as white against Fabi. And Fabi plays a great game, definitely better as black. And I felt, again, I was doing this with Eugene Perlstein, like that Fabi definitely had winning chances and then settled for a draw. And that was like this critical moment where. I felt it at the time. I was like, dude, you're not going to get that many chances. Now, at that point, I didn't even think Nepo was a contender. But at, at that point, it was like, you have to be able to win against these chumps like this. They <laughs> give you the opportunity. So that was number one. And then number two was really interesting, also just from a chess perspective, because at the beginning, now one thing I did get right is I said, Naka will play the role of kingmaker, i.e. he could knock some people out and then he could also win, a, uh, lose a couple games. So when Naka has white against Nepo, it's again a Petrov. People are, it's funny, they, they talk about uh, uh, Nepo being solid because he didn't lose any games, but he was lost, he was busted almost every single time with the Petrov. And it's funny because like, you think like, Oh, with the Kasparov narrative, it's like, well, maybe it was the prep he did with the Petrov against Carl's that, that made him so invulnerable. No, Fabi had him busted. Naka had him busted. And we're talking like in 2022 moves, you know, gone. And Naka plays this move. Knight D2. Me and, and, and me and, and, and uh, Eugene Perelson were just like, obviously knight D4. That's what you're doing. You're not even thinking, but plays knight D2. I've looked at that move like over and over. I still don't even know what Naka was thinking. There's there something he was thinking. You know, <laughs> but he, like, he explained to Jesse, actually. It was, it uh, was in, his, in his recaps, which actually have been really interesting. I, I watched a few of them. He was just yeah. trying to repeat the position and get the position after knight d4 anyway. So he thought he's repeating with knight d2, knight b3, and then he's just going to play knight d4, and then he's closer to the time control. So that, that was his explanation. Uh, so he, it was even it's even weirder than that though because in addition to queen a1 black white had a black at queen c2 so it's just like knock it buddy what are you doing yeah what are you doing uh, yeah weird blackout but 
but yeah, no, you were right on your evaluation. Like, yeah, ninety four there, and he he's doing really well. Um, so those are my two moments. I could go on, but I and I really felt like at that point, Naka, if Naka wins the game, I mean, we're, tournament's wide open still, wide wide open at that point. Yeah, absolutely. And I felt, by the way, that whereas you think about this American story of of Fabi and Naka. Uh, Fabi's had multiple huge games in his life, but that was by all means Naka's biggest game of his life. That was like the chance for that kid to have a shot at the title, man. It was so close, so close for him. Yeah, but then his game against uh, Fabi, which you mentioned earlier, for me, that was, yeah, easily one of the best games of the tournament. Just like, Mm. just so interesting throughout and very well played. Um, and also super important for uh, for the standings, at least for, for second place. But also, he was the one that kind of slowed down Fabi quite a bit um, to keep him from, from catching, uh, catching Nepo. And, um, yeah, I got to say, like, you know, credit to Magnus. I don't think this was an intention, but he made the tournament very interesting by making the fight for second very relevant <laughs> throughout, uh-huh. throughout the event. I don't think that was his point, but that is kind of what what ended up uh, ended up happening. I feel like that also contributed. Just this tournament, yeah, I just felt like there was a ton of pressure on like everyone going in. Not just like the folks we mentioned, but even guys like Rappert and Duda. I mean, obviously they're also trying to win games and, and win the candidates. I mean, they're young and you know, seems like they they came there to win, but. Um, yeah, and then you know, like the whole chess world is watching. There aren't like other events, like a Dortmund or something, going on to distract. It's like everyone is just watching the games, like every single day. And uh, yeah, hopefully they're staying off of social media. But if some of them are going on and just like seeing some of the <laughs> some of the stuff that's been happening, I mean, that would just like drive a player crazy if they if they weren't able to um to block it out. So I feel like that's kind of been been a factor um, in terms of just kind of like building building on the pressure yeah um so david any top moments for you that we haven't discussed i think my favorite moment of the whole thing was going on uh jesse's broadcast and and talking with him about the uh duda caruana game that was that was the most fun moment of the entire candidates for me and the moment that I learned the most from, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of games I looked at, you know, and sometimes, you know, you're, you know, you've got your reaction and you're reading other people's reactions. You're reading news articles or seeing tweets or whatever, but um, just sitting there stewing in the position with Jesse and, and Jason Stone King. Um, that was, that was the best experience of the candidates for me, you know, so that, that, that was my best moment. And um you know, I've never understood any double king pawn positions, like ever, other than the king's gambit, which is, those positions are useless because they're theoretically bad for white. So what can you do? I mean, it only helps me when I play e5 and, and somebody's dumb enough to play the king's gambit against me. Otherwise, there's basically nothing in all the double king pawns I understand. And that game there, you know, working on that with, with Jesse... And, um, you know, for a moment I thought like, huh, I learned something like, like, like I understand something about something in this position. So, so that was, that, that was the best moment for me, for the candidates. And, um, as far as like decisive moments that like decided what happened with the candidates, 
I think it's the two ding games that I mentioned before. It's interesting. Jesse kind of sees the tournament largely through the lens of Fabi because to Jesse, Fabi is probably kind of like a, like a massive favorite. So what's the, what's the path there? And of course, then also, you know, you're looking at his game. So you're focused on, on his story. To me, the two games that Ding lost with White, just egregious. And, uh, and if you change the results on those games, you know, he would be tied for first or in first place, depending how you, how you score those games. Um, so, so as far as like what decided the tournament, to me, it's those two games that Ding loses with White, just, just, just absolutely abysmally um, from a player who rarely plays a bad move, much less a bad game. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't often lose with White, of course. Um, yeah. Right, he had that uh, that streak, right? 100 games without a loss not that long ago, which was, uh, yeah, pretty impressive. Um, but, I mean, he did end in second, winning a big game against Nakamura today, kind of just, like, on demand, it seems. Uh, so maybe we could talk about that for a little bit because uh, Magnus has been going... Um, not so much back and forth, but being really like kind of wishy-washy about the world championship, saying that he might not play again after Nepo, then saying like he's not going to play unless the next challenger is uh, Faruja. Now the latest news that we've been hearing um, is that he's in negotiations with Fide, uh, specifically Dvorkovic, and uh, discussing about potential changes to the format uh, for his presumed a match against uh, against Nepo because Nepo has been the he's already clinched it for a couple of days already um so yeah first of all like wow like what's your what is your guys's reaction to this like that Magnus is like negotiating the format so first of all I think it's not correct to say negotiating because from what I understand he's been in contact with like he was able to present his views on what the format should be, but it wasn't in the negotiation. I would say negotiation only if he was saying, if you you guys need to do this or else, but he's not doing that. He's just so far, he's just put forward his ideas. It might come to that, especially if he says, I won't play unless, but at the moment, yeah. So at the moment it's not negotiations, but it was very interesting how it happened basically right at the end of the tournament that Fide announced that they had been talking to Carlson about new, it's like they had delayed uh, announcing it until the end of the tournament about maybe a new format. Wouldn't you say, Jesse, that the fact that he's suggested he probably won't play means that that's implied or implicit in any discussion? Of yeah, it's the in the background, is, of like, course. Like, they can't like, ignore if it. Not, if it's not the format he likes, you know, like, probably he's not playing. I mean... They, they... And he has backed out of a cycle before when he was, like, a, a top candidate when it was the candidates matches in Kazan he dropped out saying like he he doesn't like the format it's it's like not fair to the challengers and and that I think was a big blow to to Fide because they didn't have like you know like the next superstar in in the candidates tournament yeah um I think it's really interesting I don't think anybody really knows what Magnus's game is here most people especially people at the top like Fabi and others don't believe that he won't play. They don't mm-hmm. believe it. I would like to believe that if he doesn't play the chess, other people have different opinions. I think it would be the worst, worst thing if he doesn't play. I think it would really hurt his brand. And then it's not just him because he's the head of this big company. 
with the Play Magnus group. So it would be a massive, I think it would be a massive mistake, but by doing it this way, he certainly like, you know, embroils the waters here. <laughs> no one knows what's going on, man. No one knows. Yeah, it's it's a weird situation. I, I feel like it's odd because, you know, on the principle of the matter, it's like you don't just want the world champion to be able to decide the format, you know, however they please. That doesn't seem right on the surface. <laughs> on the other hand, Magnus is like number one. He's been number one for 10 years. He's a clear number one. You know, he's usually ahead of the next guy by like 40, 50, 60 points. There was like, you know, a couple moments when Fabi got close to him on the rating uh, chart. But basically, Magnus has just been an undisputed number one for uh, for 10 years now. And uh, yeah, if he doesn't play the world championship, then it loses a, lo a lot of value. And so like, unless he just, like if he, okay, just retires from chess, then fine. He's out of chess. He's no longer the world champion. And we need a new world champion. But if he's actively playing tournaments and like maintaining his number one status, and then he just gives up the title, um, then Fide has like a big problem. And for me, it's just like, it's, it's just kind of a tough situation. It's just like, all right, we're going to have another Fide world champion. And in this case, it would be like Nepo versus Ding or something. Um, and, uh, but for me, it would just be like, well, Magnus is still number one. This is just like kind of a you know, it's just one of those murky periods that we're going to remember in in the future, like when Kasparov was the kind of classical world champion, and then we had these like FIDE world champions that were um, winning the the yearly events. Um, but I'm with you guys. I, yeah, it feels like he is going to play. I mean, just that's what it feels like, even though he said he's not really interested and people, you know, close to him have said he's not interested. Yeah. I think and I just want to say from the perspective play. of history, and I think we mentioned this last time, but Kasparov <laughs> didn't want to play Shirov. Handpicks Kramnik to play the match against in violation of every moral legal code. Then out of this hubris to play Kramnik gets popped. <laughs> it gets popped and that's the end. That's the end. It's not quite the end. You know, he plays a couple more years, but that's basically over, right? So it's an interesting way in which Kasparov at that time also was like, uh, I think felt like it was, for him, I think it was less of, definitely maybe, because Kasparov would always kill Shirov, dude, just murdering that guy. And so it didn't feel like a match and he didn't feel like there would be sponsorship and yada, yada. We're going to have a similar problem with this thing. Uh, will, like, does Magnus care about the money? Probably not so much, but the hype of this Nepo-Carlson match, honestly, the only way to hype it is if Carlson, like, maybe doesn't play it, man. <laughs> because I think, like, he was already, Carlson was such a huge favorite last time. He's going to be a massive favorite this time. Who's going to, who, what kind of sponsors are really going to be pumped? I don't know. And then if it's, Nepo versus Ding. Oh no, that's not an exciting match. I don't want to see that. I really don't. Well, I would definitely watch that match. I think that would be cool. But yeah, it would just be a bummer to not have Magnus involved in in what they call like the world the world championship. Um, but so the other speculation that's been going on is that the 
changes that Magnus wants to the World Championship um, is to include some other time controls because he's been people have been dropping all kinds of hints like Magnus has been saying he wants the format to represent who is a more like all-around player meaning like better suited and faster time controls um, and things like that just basically implying that he wants rapid chess to be involved um, there was one article posted that said like the format that Magnus likes is just doing all rapid just like four rapid games a day um, similar to what they do in like the champions uh, chess store where you have to right. win like several matches that sort uh, of shows his in a row, um, which which that format actually just exclude classical chess all around, which seems a little extreme and probably unlikely. But yeah, if it comes down to Magnus and Nepo playing some kind of match that's like a hybrid of classical and rapid, and maybe even blitz, uh, what do you guys think about that? Well, I mean, if it were truly just rapid, I mean, far be it from me to try and criticize or change anything that Magnus says, but I guess this is just speculation and hearsay. And so I'll, I'll say if it's just to create a series of rapid games, why not be talking to Fidi about changing the format of the world rapid championships instead of the world classical chess championship? Well, because he's he's tired of having to prepare six months for uh, you know twelve hard fought classical games with like tons of prep and, and theory and right. So so don't play. I think that's like a great option. But I mean, you don't need to. There's already a rapid championship. I mean, he, and 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 that's of interest and a value to him, and he likes to play that event. So why doesn't he talk to Fide about the format for their rapid championship? I guess the other side of it, it's like if we're talking about who is a more complete player and you include blitz rapid and classical is like the three forms of chess and if you looked at it that way then it would be like yeah that's you just do all three formats so it's not just any one or the other right when my design of the world you know chess that that's in my head there is a classical championship a rapid championship a blitz championship and also an event which i currently have imagined in my head as the decathlon and that is a mix of a whole bunch of different events and shows somebody who has, you know, the skills in both solving endgame studies and playing rapid chess and playing classical chess, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I think that there is a great place for that in chess, but I do think there is a place for a classical world championship, which in my opinion, the classical world championship should be entirely decided by classical chess and the blitz championship by blitz chess and to, to me, it's super obvious. I don't see the argument against it. Yeah, that's fair. It would be a bummer to, to then just not have a classical world championship. <laughs> you have the overall world championship, which is like some mix of everything. And then you have a separate Bliss world championship, separate rapid world championship, and then no separate, and like, no classical. only why classical. Not just, why not just add your other event that you have an idea for? The classical world championship is cool, too. And if it's not for Carlson anymore... And I think, you know, he had fun the first one or two matches against a non for sure, right? But if it's no longer of interest to him, he can just leave and that's totally fine, you know? Well, maybe that's and, what will happen. Maybe he'll let Nepo and Ding fight for the classical yeah. world championship and then he'll set up his own yeah. whatever overall world championship. <laughs> and everyone can know that they're only the second best player in the world that year or whatever. And that's fine too. You know, it'll still be an epic match and cool. I mean... 
Wesley Sos made comments that like when they go to tournaments, it's really just a question of who's going to get second place. And it feels kind of pathetic that after years and years that, that, that hasn't changed and that when they go to a tournament, they're just trying to get second place, but that's how it is. So that's how it is. Yeah. But then, yeah, why have a world championship at all? Like, we know Magnus is number one. Just let them keep playing chess. As soon as there's a new number one, maybe they can play uh, a match against Magnus. Personally, I don't see why Magnus has to be forced to play a match against someone who's like so far below him. I feel like there should be uh, a clear a clear challenger. You anyway. talked about how much influence the world championship should the world champion should have versus FIDE for determining these things. And there was a phase where the, uh, where the champion had full say in the matter. Right. And in those cases, the rule that a lot of world champions used was you have to be able to raise X amount of money and then I'll play you. That was, that was the entire qualification process, right. Was you would try to get famous enough at on the tournament circuit that you could convince a sponsor to put up a thousand dollars and then, you know, Lask or a Capablanca might play you. Um, and now you could have a similar system where you're like, you have to get within 50 rating points of Magnus and then he'll give you a match. It could be based on like rating points yeah. instead of money. Honestly, I think that's like not unreasonable. <laughs> like, you have to be yeah. like a worthy, not that Nepo's not like a worthy challenger, but it's just like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Magnus, he's demonstrated he's just clearly above everyone. So, yeah, to me, I don't know. I feel like he has some moral right to at least dictate what, what the top of chess. It's kind of like like he's not like an elected official, but chess is all about who's the strongest player in the world. And he's definitely the strongest. So he kind of has some say in how the chess world should be run. That's just how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. Magnus, but I got a message for you right here. You're not going to last forever at the top. Go as long as you can, and we're going to judge your career at the end of it, buddy. That's the way it works. You bow out now. That's it. You're not. There's some other kids going to come along, and you might think you're the greatest of all time. Somebody else is coming, buddy. So I don't know who, what his name is. He's coming. Maybe it's even a her. And then you're going to get knocked off, buddy. So this is your chance. You have to suffer a couple more years, and then it's over, boss. Okay? It's over. That's my message to you. 